Welcome to the Ocean Grove Camp Meeting Association's podcast. In Mark 16:15, Jesus says, "Go throughout the whole world and preach the gospel to every person." This good news sermon was given in the Great Auditorium in Ocean Grove, New Jersey. Visit oceangrove.org to learn how we are fulfilling our mission to provide people of all ages with opportunities for spiritual birth, growth, and renewal through worship, educational, cultural, and recreational programs at the Jersey Shore. The following message was given by Pastor Roger Casey in the Great Auditorium at Ocean Grove on Sunday, August the 12th, 2018. He spoke that day to fill in for R.T. Kendall, who was not available. Pastor Casey is scheduled to speak again this coming June the 12th, 2022, in the Great Auditorium at the 10.30 a.m. service. And then R.T. Kendall is scheduled to speak the following Sunday on June the 19th, 2022. Pastor Casey is then scheduled to lead us in Bible Hour from Monday, June 20th through the 24th at 9 a.m. We invite you to join us live in Ocean Grove or online and also invite others to join us. And now, the scripture reading, prayer, and message. Today's scripture reading comes from John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, the wedding at Cana. I will repeat that, John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother, said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, Now, draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it to the chief steward at once. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the sunshine after the rain. 
We thank you that we can come here and worship you freely and for the love that you continually pour out, love that we don't deserve. Father, I thank you most of all for your son and the sacrifice he made for us to save us from our sins. Lord, each of us comes here today carrying baggage of some sort, whether it be physical pain that could use your healing or perhaps it's sadness or concern or anger or frustration. Lord, come into our hearts and give us comfort where we need it and take away anything that would be a distraction from us focusing on you and hearing your words. We ask that you be with those who can't be here today. Be with those around the world who aren't able to worship in a place like this. Those who struggle for food or shelter. Help us to find ways to be servants who can reach out and help make this world a better place. Father, I ask that you continue to bless this nation of ours. Bless Ocean Grove and all that we do here. Let us be a light for all to see in a place where generations can continue to come for spiritual birth, growth, and renewal. Lord, be with our speaker, Reverend Casey, this morning. Let his words resonate in our hearts, because they're not his words, they're your words. Let everyone here be touched in a personal way, and let us leave here refreshed and renewed and filled with your grace. And Father, let us feel your spirit in this place. Let our minds and hearts be open to you as we recite together the words your Son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Do you like surprises? <laughs> well, God gives them. We are always being surprised. You might be surprised that when you looked up here, it didn't look like R.T. Kendall. <laughs> we are joined today, um, but I'm going to give the bio a little in a little bit, but we are so delighted to have Roger Casey with us today. But speaking of surprises, um, last week during the prayer, we talked about 2 Kings chapter 22 and how in the restoration of the temple, the renovation of the temple under King Josiah, they were breaking open a wall and they found the book of the law and they read it and their hearts were, were completely convicted and they were led back into a time of holiness. Well, last week while that was being talked about, up in the balcony, somebody was sitting on a chair, and the chair broke, and inside were bulletins from 1934. <laughs> Does God have surprises? And as you read, from August 12, 1934, we see things like, the very top, it says, in the beginning, God, what we've been called to, that in the beginning of this camp meeting, 
We were called and it was created and it was God's idea. And we see worship from beginning to end throughout the day in Ocean Grove. Let that be our continuing prayer. Let us be called to a rededication of this building, a re-consecration of our lives to Christ. We are delighted to have Roger Casey with us this morning. But Roger Casey had been with us all week, Monday through Saturday at the Bible Hour, and what an anointed word from God. <laughs> you will experience enthusiasm. You'll see the Spirit of God enlivening His Spirit as He gives a word from God to you today, and your spirits will be enlivened. Um, he has served in churches on both sides of the Atlantic. You might uh, um, listen to hear that he actually speaks English properly, <laughs> whatever that means. And, um, he has been a missionary involved with evangelism in southern India, um, he is in his last pastorate before retiring. He was in Manhattan for 18 years. He currently serves as a Bible teacher and an elder at the Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Milford, Pennsylvania. So with that, let us prepare our hearts for the offering. Heavenly Father, we know that every good gift comes from you. And there are times that you surprise us. Lord, open our hearts that we would be open to what it is you have because your surprises are better than our planning. Lord, help us to be generous in this offering that it would go to your purposes and that your name would be glorified here as we prepare and move forward for our day. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. It seems like I was only here yesterday. How quickly a year passes. We just got home after doing Bible hour. We got home last evening in the Poconos. I had time to check that there was, the trash was still intact and no bear had got into it. My wife did the laundry. We sat back to relax and the phone rang. So here I am this morning. Some years ago, when um, the Six Day War was happening, I was on a subway train in the city of London. It was boiling hot, and we were crammed in like sardines in a tin. And I happened to be looking over a man's shoulder who was trying to read a newspaper. And I saw a cartoon that I'd, I've never forgotten. And the cartoonist had got something. He drew a picture of the Red Sea parted in the middle. And uh, there was one fish looking out from the wall. <laughs> and there was another fish looking out at him. And one fish said to the other, I think there's more to this than meets the eye. <laughs> Israel had just had a wonderful victory and the cartoonist saw it. 
that God was in control and had brought about their victory. There's more to this than meets the eye. Here's something I can't understand. Why did God send Brother Kendall to be a pastor in London for 25 years? An American in an English pulpit. And he sent me over here 35 years ago. Wouldn't you have thought in the economy of things we could have saved some fear? He could have stayed in Tennessee, I could have stayed near London. But God does some strange and remarkable things. But I believe in His sovereignty. And I believe that God, in His super knowledge and insight, far above our thinking and wisdom beyond anything we could know, has ordained things that are. And I believe I'm here in the plan of God because all things work together for good to them that love God. And who knows what may have happened if uh, the dear brother who should have been here had boarded the plane in that terrible storm. We don't know all the arrangements that God makes, but I'm glad he makes them. The reading was from John 2, but I have a text this morning from the book of Psalms, and it's the 25th Psalm, verse 14. And it reads this, The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, or with them that reverence him, and he will show them his covenant. And I want to speak to you this morning for a brief while, maybe an hour or so, um, <laughs> about two Marys that we find in the Gospel of John. You know, this wonderful word is an inspired word. This is God's word. It says all scripture is given by inspiration. The Greek word, I'm not going to bore you with too much Greek, but the Greek word is theonoustos. It means divinely breathed. That is, it's not that man wrote this and God said, hey, that sounds pretty good. I think I'll put my stamp of approval on it. No. He breathed out his word. This is God's word. And I believe that when we turn into this wonderful gospel of John, we see something not only of the inspiration of scripture, but the inspired placing of incidents as we look at these two Marys that we discover in this gospel. This is a wonderful gospel, the gospel of John. I believe in a way it's really our gospel, that is the believer's gospel. This is the only gospel, and you know when we're thinking of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, as believers we're really always thinking of the rapture, at least that's what I'm always thinking of, the catching away of the church. And I believe that the rapture, that part of the second coming, is only found in the Gospel of John, in the 14th chapter. I'm going away, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. In the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's a very strong Jewish flavor. It says, pray that your flight be not on the Sabbath. Woe unto them that give suck in those days. And uh, you that are on the housetop, don't come down to get your stuff. 
That doesn't speak to me of the rapture. It talks about the second coming of Christ, but it's a different aspect of that one coming. It's when he actually comes to the earth. This is our gospel uniquely as well, I believe, the gospel of John, because in this gospel, we find the message of eternal life. It doesn't matter who the preacher is and where he takes his text from. When a preacher is preaching the gospel, he's always preaching John 3.16. Doesn't matter, he could take his text from Leviticus, but the message is always John 3.16 if he's preaching the gospel. So this is uh, uniquely, I believe, our gospel, believer's gospel. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are equally inspired, of course, but this has a special relevance to us who are believers. Actually, the gospel historically was written to the Jews. And that little term, the Jews, is given to the religious folk who lived in and around Jerusalem. They wanted to be on hand for the temple worship and the feasts and the holy days and high days. So many of the Jews, the religious Jews, lived in and around Jerusalem. And John, <coughs> he mentions that term, the Jews, over 40 times in this gospel. When he writes this gospel, he writes it so that it might penetrate religious minds and practices that Jesus might be revealed in all of his deity and in all of his messiahship. He's very selective in the miracles that he records in his gospel. He even numbers them. He's very careful. He doesn't repeat a miracle because he has a plan and a purpose. And the whole idea and the plan comes to fruition in the last verse of the 20th chapter where John says, these things have been written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. That sound pretty good to you? That's worthy of an amen. amen. That you might have life in his name. The last chapter of John actually is like a postscript. It's equally inspired, but, it's, but really the gospel, in a sense, finishes at the end of that 20th chapter. And John's revelation of the deity and the messiahship of Christ comes to its own in that one verse. John chapter 20 and the last verse. Because John historically is writing to penetrate Jewish minds and uh, Jewish bias, we don't read in John's gospel about the birth of Jesus as we do in the other gospels. Because it was very hard to present a little baby to those Jews and expect them to believe that this was the God of their fathers. So John goes right the way back to the beginning. In fact, when I was studying, I discovered that Mark begins his ministry with John the Baptist and he records about the Baptist and the baptism of Jesus in Jordan and he has nothing to say about the incarnation. Luke goes a little further back with nativity details. Matthew proves to be an Old Testament historian and he's working on the law of genealogy. He proves that Jesus Christ came through 42 generations, came of the seed of David and of Abraham. But when you come to John, John has something different to say. Something of Christ 
that could never be analyzed in time. John couldn't find a platform far enough back to declare his origin. He couldn't start in time and work into eternity. So he starts in eternity and comes into time. He couldn't start on earth and work into heaven. So he starts in heaven and comes down to earth. And bypassing the whole field of human history and genealogy, he simply begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's infinity. And then he says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that is affinity. Yeah, John goes right to the beginning. He expounds the truth of Christ as the creator. And we're not properly introduced to the Lord until he is a mature man. And he comes upon the pages of the Gospel of John in this second chapter, in all of his maturity and at the beginning of his ministry. In the scene of activity that surrounds his first miracle, we discover some wonderful words that John gives us of the relationship of Jesus and that first Mary that appears in this gospel, Mary the mother of Jesus. We're a little bit nervous in evangelical circles to talk too much about Mary. She was a wonderful woman and had wonderful communion with God. She must have been for the Holy Spirit to have come upon her and for that holy thing that was born of her to be the Son of God. She was no ordinary girl. She was a spiritual girl, a spiritual woman. But this story in John 2 is familiar to us. During the wedding feast, the wine ran out and they didn't know what to do or to whom they could turn. Mary went to Jesus and she said, they have no wine. And he says to her, woman, what have I to do with thee? Yeah. It sounds kind of rude almost, but really it was like him saying, madam. It's still a strange way of speaking to his mother. But I be believe that here and even before this, he began to close the door on his earthly family. And finally, of course, at the cross, he gives the charge of his mother over to his beloved disciple John. And at the cross, his earthly family really ceases to be. But thank God at the cross, a new family emerges. The family of the blood-washed, the family of believers, the family of, of the redeemed, the church of Jesus Christ. Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. The first time really he had spoken to his mother like this, reminding her who she was and who he was. All of the fullness of the Godhead bodily was in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was very God. I tell you, that excites me. Some people say he was a son of God. I believe he is the son of God. He has always been the eternal son of God, the eternal father. And yet, here in Hebrews chapter 1, thy throne, speaking to the son, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. 
Jesus is God. And he knew his origins. The Holy Spirit had been whispering in his spirit from the earliest of times. And he knew who he was. But Mary did something that revealed her knowledge of that fact also. And she kind of almost ignores what he says. And to the servants, she says, He saith unto you, do it. She knew the mysteries of her child. She knew the mysteries of the incarnation. I have a feeling that there were many times when uh, Mary pinched herself as to whether all this had really happened. And yet she knew she had never been with a man. She knew that she was pure and a virgin. And yet here this wonderful thing had happened. She knew the mysteries of Christ's origin. There was a time even when he was a lad and they had gone to the temple Mary and Joseph and Jesus other members of the family met others on the roadside as they were traveling with great joy to the city of Jerusalem it was the time of the Passover and there was great celebration and a great fun had by all all the families greeting each other and when the feasting came to an end and the Passover was over, the families moved out back to their villages and hamlets and Jesus is left behind by his parents. They don't even miss him for a couple of days. And then they discover he's not with his cousins, he's not with this group of the family. And they rush back in panic to Jerusalem. Jesus, of course, is already coming to an understanding that at a future Passover, he would be the lamb that would be slain. And so they return to Jerusalem, they're searching everywhere, and they find him in the temple, and he's speaking with the doctors at law. And when his parents catch up with him, they probably wanted to do like my father often did with me. He applied the board of education to the seat of learning. <laughs> Where have you been? What's... Don't you know what we've been going through? And Jesus said, and he's only a lad, how is it that you sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? He was beginning to understand his role, that he would be the Lamb of God slain. Now Mary listened to what he said, and she said that as he went down with them into Nazareth and was subject unto them, that his mother kept all these sayings in her heart.
Yeah, she knew. She had an understanding. She was the only one that knew. None of the Orthodox Jews, none of the Pharisees or the Sadducees, the rulers in the temple, knew or understood, but she knew. And at that wedding feast, those many years later, she said, whatsoever he says to you, do it. She knew who he was. And the clock on God's timepiece chimed. And his ministry began. Jesus knew that she knew. His hour came and he performed the miracle. I want to tell you, the creator who created all things, he knew how to create good wine. They had a wonderful wedding as they drank that wine and remarked of its quality. Yeah, Mary knew because the secret of the Lord is with them that reverence him and he will show unto them his covenant. It was hard to present this little babe to the Jews and say, this is the God of your fathers. Jesus himself later said, before Abraham was, I am. Difficult for them to receive. But what blessed sweet communion Mary had, that she had inside information. She had the witness of the Spirit of God. She was in such communion with the Lord that she knew who he was when others had rejected him. Because he came to his own, they received him not. But she knew the secrets of his birth. Now it's not until later on in the gospel that we come face to face with the second Mary. And I believe it's in the plan of God. One is at the beginning of the gospel and one is at the end. Mary, of course, whose sister was Martha and whose brother was Lazarus. And Lazarus had died. And on Martha's testimony, he'd been dead for four days and his body was beginning to rot and beginning to stink. But this was to be the setting for perhaps Jesus' greatest miracle. Whenever Jesus, and you can check this out yourself, Whenever Jesus came within the vicinity of Jerusalem, he always performed some notable miracle. It says in the scriptures that the common people, when he was down there in Galilee, the common people, the everyday people, heard him gladly, received him. But those religious Jews that were centered in and around Jerusalem, they took a lot of convincing. So whenever he came close to Jerusalem, there was always something more that he did and he comes to the tomb of Lazarus and Lazarus died and his home and tomb was in a place called Bethany on the slopes of the Mount of Olives as it heads down towards Jerusalem and here Jesus performs this tremendous miracle and raises Lazarus back to life showing again to the Jews his divinity and his deity that he is the Christ, he is the Messiah. 
and the miracle of the raising of Lazarus, tremendous repercussions take place. Because many of the Jews, again we get that little phrase, many of the Jews had come out from Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives to see what Jesus would do. They'd heard about him, but some had never experienced firsthand what he might do. I'm glad Jesus does great things. I'm glad that he can change people's lives, that he can transform. I was telling the people in Bible Hour when I was teaching one time in Philadelphia years ago, back in 76, and a few young men used to come to my apartment and I would teach to them, teach them from the Word of God. One of them was a guy called Bill Wilson. He had been uh, in the presidential uh, guard. Uh, he was a Marine. Uh, he showed me the bullet scars in his legs where he'd run with the gangs in Brooklyn. He had been hooked on drugs while, while he was still serving in the military and was overseas. And uh, then he came to Christ. And uh, what a change, what a transformation. As I was teaching that little group of young men, there was a band that was practicing a few homes away in an apartment and they had their amplifiers turned up full blast. And Bill said to me, Brother Casey said, if I was not saved, I'd go and burn that house down. And I believed him. You know what he's doing today? He's pastoring a thousand people down in North Carolina. Oh, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. New thing, and all sorts of new things happen in the life of the redeemed. And these many Jews, they came out to see what Jesus would do. And when they saw the miracle, the raising of Lazarus, they returned to Jerusalem. They prepared to herald him when Christ might enter Jerusalem. They made preparations for the day that we call Palm Sunday. And when he finally came into the city, there was the shout of hallelujah. There was the shout of praise. There was the shouts of Hosanna to the son of David. They began to recognize his royalty. They began to recognize his messiahship. And Simon, who'd been a leper, he held a great feast. And Jesus was there, a guest of honor, and Lazarus. And there were many, many people that were trying to get into that feast. You know, it's not every day you have a freshly resurrected man at your supper table. And the religious leader says, the whole world has gone after him. And they're furious. And there's a lot of conversation around the supper table. And I tell you, friends, they're not talking about the weather. It's all eyes on Jesus and all eyes on Lazarus. Doesn't he look well? He's got a wonderful color. It looks as though he's been on the beach at Ocean Grove. And there's a lot of noise and hubbub. And suddenly, Mary, our second Mary, whose sister was Martha, 
and whose brother was Lazarus. Mary comes towards Christ and she's carrying in her hand an alabaster box. No one sees her at first, but she breaks the seal on that box and the room is filled with the perfume of precious anointing ointment. And she pours all of that ointment upon Christ. And in those moments, there's absolute silence. And then Judas, who's angry, he says, this is expensive perfume. This is better than Chanel number five. This is probably Chanel number six. This is good stuff. It could be sold for a great deal of money and we could give the money to the poor. Jesus knew what was going on in his heart. He wasn't interested in the poor. He was interested in keeping his hand on that money. And Jesus says much to the surprise of everyone that was gathered there, except one. He says, this she had done against my burial. Burial? Master? Burial? Huh? When you've just been there on the Mount of Olives in Bethany, and you've raised back to life, a man who was dead and whose body was corrupting in the tomb and all our eyes saw it and now you're talking about death you're talking about burial look this is just the beginning they're thinking of course of the domination of Rome that was happening at that time and how a power like this could break the yoke of an enemy we know that because even after the resurrection of Christ, they're coming to him saying, are you going to establish the kingdom at this time? They're thinking they're going to have a place in that kingdom. So their thoughts are always kind of earthly. That's why I believe when he ascended, he ascended publicly, we read in Acts 1. He was caught up in a cloud. He went up into heaven a lot of times before that. You do know that, don't you? Remember when he came out of the tomb and the sister comes into the garden and he's there. She thinks he's the gardener at first. And he says, Mary. She says, Rabboni. And her eyes are open as to who he is. And he says, don't touch me, for I've not yet ascended to my God and to your God. Don't touch me. The word in there actually is don't cling to me. She automatically wanted to cling onto him and hold him still. But he had to offer his blood through the eternal spirit. He was on his way back into the presence of the Father. Where was Jesus when he wasn't appearing to the disciples in the upper room? Where was Jesus when he wasn't appearing to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus? He was in the presence of the Father. He had a glorious body. 
I've got a little something to tell you. We're going to have a body like unto his glorious body. But in Acts, he publicly goes up before and the disciples are looking up. Their eyes had to be taken from the earth to the heavenly. We can't just live looking at things through earthly eyes. We can't be looking at situations as if we're just a people that are earthbound. We are now, if we love Christ and are washed in the blood of Jesus, we are of a heavenly citizenship. And we should be looking up. And we're told in Scripture, look up when you see some of the things that are happening today. The establishing of the nation of Israel. One of the great signs of the soon return of Jesus. One of the greatest things that president, our president has done is establishing the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv into the city of Jerusalem. It's a prophetic thing that's been accomplished. Oh, glory. Glory. Glory to God. Yes, God is at work and we have to have our eyes on heavenly things. The disciples had to look up. And here they're still living with the things of the earth. Burial, Master? You say she's anointed you against your burial? when you're just at the beginning. We've only been together for three years. And now look what you've just done in Bethany. It's the beginning, not the end. This she had done against my burial. You see, in that feast, only one knew anything at all, really, of his deity, of his divinity, and what he had to do and accomplish those higher things. Not Peter, not Lazarus, not even John, but Mary, she knew the secret of Calvary. For the secret of the Lord is with them that reverence him and he will show them his covenant. These two are divinely placed in the Gospel of John. And I gave the preamble about John's Gospel at the beginning because you can't take texts out from the whole pattern of what John is bringing to us. The whole of his message, all of the miracles, the eight miracles that are recorded, are all geared to show us this great truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he is deity, that he is the Messiah. These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing you might have life through his name. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, knew the secret of his birth and his origin and his ministry. And Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, knew the secret of Calvary. And both of these knew the secret of his deity and divinity divinely placed, one at the beginning of the gospel and one at the end of the gospel. These things, friends, were spiritual things. There are many spiritual things that are hidden from the wise, it says, and from the prudent, but they're revealed unto babes. 
but babes who fear or who reverence the Lord. I like the scripture in the Old Testament. It said, he made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Israelites got to see his acts, but Moses, oftentimes caught up on the mount to meet with the Lord, Moses knew his ways. You don't tell your secrets to everyone. In fact, if you want something to get out, there are certain people you know you should tell. And say, don't tell anyone. Keep this to yourself. My wife actually, she's in the meeting, and I'll probably get told off for saying this, but my wife thinks I'm a blabbermouth. She thinks that everything that happens in our family somehow finds an expression somewhere in a message that I preach. She's frightened to tell me anything in case some of the secrets come out. No, we don't tell our secrets to everyone. We have special ones. A pastor, an elder, a deacon, a close friend. That we're able to share things that are intimate. On the way home yesterday, not thinking for a moment that I'd be back here today, but we stopped at a little restaurant to have a bite to eat. And uh, as we sat there, my wife said, you know, I've learned lots of secrets in this place because she goes out with certain women that confide in her because she knows that she'll pray for. She said, I've learned many secrets in this place. <coughs> We don't tell our secrets to everyone. And God is very guarded, I believe. How can he share in intimate communion with us of his word? How can he open the word to us if our minds remain closed to him? If our intercourse, if our communion with him is just on a very shallow kind of level if we're not interested in understanding his ways and we closet ourselves off from him, how can he share with us anything? And yet he longs to show his kindness and his love. He longs to lead us. How many have refused to listen to his voice and have ended up in such a mess when the scripture says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That he's leading us is a sign of our sonship. That if we're sons and daughters of God, and if we're intent on following him, that we can listen to his voice. You know, very often when we come to prayer, I know I'm guilty of this. Lord, would you bless me? Lord, would you bless my wife's husband? Lord, would you bless my children's father? When we put our listening ears on, how might the Lord lead us and guide us? What communion depths does he want to bring us to as the people of God? The sons and daughters that he wants to share himself with Sometimes sinfulness and backsliding and habits get in the way of that communion. But I'm glad there is a place 
in God where we can examine ourselves and go on believing and trusting in the precious blood to cleanse us from all sin. I believe God is wanting to have the very deepest relationship with each and every one of us. And so very often we keep him in the shallows when he wants us to meet him in the deeper waters. My mother was an absolute fraud. She's with the Lord now, so she doesn't know what I'm saying. This, you know, absolute fraud. She could not swim one stroke. But my father would take them, her and my uncle and aunt, almost every year they'd go to the island of Malta in the Mediterranean. My mother would put on her swimming costume. She would wade out into the water until it was coming up to her hips here. And then she'd kind of duck down and she had the movements of an Olympic swimmer. But her feet, her feet were on the ground, on the sand. Then one day my uncle, he said, listen, just take your feet, let, it, let them go and come towards me. And finally, when she was getting up there in years, finally, she let go of her fears and let her feet float upwards and she began to swim. Said, oh, how wonderful. She just, listen, God wants to take us into the depths and help us to swim in his presence but as long as our feet are on the sand and perhaps we're just going through the motions the scripture talks about having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof God is wanting to share so much of himself with us he said he that eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood they have my life in them. And of course, he wasn't speaking of cannibalism. He was speaking of that act of faith where we receive of him. Not only at communion, but every day in the quiet time, we're receiving of his life. And he's sharing with us precious things because the secret of the Lord is with them that reverence him and he will show unto them his covenant. Would you stand with me? <coughs> We're going to sing a hymn in just a moment, but I'm going to give an invitation to you right now. I believe I'm here because the Lord arranged that. I don't know why. It's the mysteries of God the sovereignty of God. But as I've given this message this morning, some of you have been especially moved upon by the Spirit of God. Something I've said has quickened you. This I want that relationship with God. Perhaps you've lost out somewhere along the line. And it may be that your heart is in a state of lukewarmness. 
You say, I want the fire of God to burn upon the altar of my heart. One of my favourite verses is from the book of Leviticus of all books. It says, the fire shall ever be upon the altar. It will never go out. But some, the fire has gone out or it's burning very low. I'm going to ask you this morning, some of you that the Lord is speaking to, to leave your seat and come and stand or kneel down here at the front. Would you come right now before we sing a hymn? Please come as God is speaking to you. Say, oh God, move upon my heart. Renew my spiritual life. Renew my life. There's others here. God is speaking to you. Come now while we have these moments in quietness. You can kneel or stand. It's a public acknowledgement before the Lord. Lord, I want you. You know, the Apostle Paul said that I might know him with all the knowledge that he had so that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. Others come. I know the Spirit of God has been speaking to you and you need to come because the Lord did things in the public for you. He raised his hands on the cross and was nail pierced. You do this for him. Lord, touch my life afresh. Renew my spirit. Lord, I want to get back to first love. When I first met my wife, we were boyfriend and girlfriend, and there was a heavy snow one day, and I knew I wasn't able to get to her, to meet her, to take her to church. So I walked for about three miles through the heavy snow so that I could tell her I couldn't meet her to take her to church. That's first love. And some of us have lost our first love for the Lord. We would have done anything. We would have gone anywhere. But the fire has burned low. Now there's still more. Come now as we're standing or kneeling in his presence this morning. Wonderful Jesus. Wonderful Jesus. The secret of the Lord is with them that reverence him. And he will show unto them his covenant. Our Heavenly Father, I want to thank and praise you for Jesus. I want to thank you, Father, for the communion that is ours through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Communion with God. I want to thank you for these this morning who for one reason or another feel their need to bow the knee at this altar rail. Oh Father, renew our faith. Renew, put a right spirit within us. Let the fire of God burn afresh within our spirit. Open our ear, Lord, that we might hear the whispers of your Holy Spirit and rise up to do your will. And for all that are part of this great congregation, Lord, may we serve you 
and love you with all of our heart and all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength until we see you face to face. And all God's people said, Amen. Bless you abundantly. God bless you and minister into your life a renewal in Jesus' name. God bless you. And all God's people said, and some said, praise the Lord. Yeah. Some of you have been in Bible hour, you know what I do. It's wonderful to have a great hallelujah to the Lord. What a great God he is. And now, gracious Heavenly Father, let your grace and your peace be upon this people. And may we serve you all our days until Jesus comes. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. May God bless you abundantly. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. For more about attending a worship service in the Great Auditorium, additional programs offered by the Ocean Grove Camp Meeting Association, and social media links, go to oceangrove.org.